What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Hi there, it's Paul, and you're listening to What the Footy, the football business podcast that goes behind the scenes and gives fans, industry experts, athletes, aspiring sports professionals, and more unrivaled insight into football, business, and how the beautiful game is evolving. Here is what I have lined up for you today. This episode is a little bit different and comes from the Q&A from our live show back in February with CEO and Deputy Chairman of Brighton and Hobe Albion FC, Paul Barber. It's an absolute cracker. I hope you love it. Not like it, I hope you love it. So if you're locked in and listening, give the pod a follow and a five-star review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now it's a putting in Arsenal. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fan. Anyone got any questions for Paul? Oh, oh, the hands shut up so quickly. I'm glad Adrian's hand didn't go up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, let, I'll let the doc ask the first question. Um, that was uh, wicked, by the way. Uh, really you. interesting. Um, my question's kind of building off Paul's uh, final question. So, um, Brighton, by any objective measure, seem exceptionally well run. Um, and I think a lot of us that follow football have seen this in the past. Um, kind of it seems like the top maybe four to six are kind of locked in and then there's a team that as you as you said you you described it really well you said that you have to work in a different way you're almost playing a different game to the top six and you've got to go to ecuador instead of argentina and you described it really well but what i see quite often is teams so say maybe a leicester or everton when i was um, a little bit younger you they can stay in that sort of fifth to eighth position for a certain number of years before you can't keep recreating the magic and, and, and it's really difficult to see. Um, I, my, my feeling has always been that if you're a really well run club, there needs to be a mechanism by which you are rewarded. I say that to say that I follow American sports a lot and obviously it's all completely different. But what I like about it is that if they're a well run team, they can kind of build a squad and work over five years and actually have an opportunity to mm. win. They can mm. actually win. My question to you is, um, do you find it frustrating that you're kind of locked out of that, that aspiration? And what do you think football could do to give teams like yourself who genuinely strive to do things the right way an opportunity to really shine? What do you, what do you think? Um, well, I suppose philosophically, I believe in meritocracy. So, you know, if I look at my personal situation, I, I was born in a council estate in North London, uh, didn't have a brilliant education, went and worked hard and progressed and eventually ended up lucky enough to be in a job that I love and here I am. So meritocracy has kind of worked in that way for me and I think football is the same. The one thing I would hate, um, and I've said it publicly so I'm not, I'm not saying anything I haven't said before, you know, is the concept of European Super League where clubs are genuinely locked out. I, I, I think that concept is abhorrent. I think it flies in the face of everything I've ever stood for and worked for in my life. Um, and every football fan I've ever spoken to 
hates the idea as much as me. So I'm, I'm encouraged by that. I actually, I'm quite inspired by the challenge of trying to win a trophy for Brighton. I remember 25 years ago, we were one game from going out of the league and probably out of existence. 25 years, you know, that's not that long ago, really. And here we are now in the sixth in the Premier League. Um, success is different for every club. It's all relative. So for an Arsenal um, or for a Tottenham, a top four position is almost the minimum. Um, for a Manchester City or a Liverpool or a Chelsea at the moment or Manchester United, top six or a cup final or a cup semi-final, that's progress again. And from that, a European place, that's progress again. So I think you have to look at football over a long period. And yes, it's going to be hard for us to sustain it, which is why we talk about the vision being a consistent top 10 club as opposed to once or twice, because that isn't achieving the vision. That's actually just touching it. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty okay with the system. I, I kind of know where we are. And I think if we're smart and we continue to be smart, will surprise people for a while, but there will be dips. And one of the things I say to the staff in the club all the time is professional sport isn't a straight line in one direction. And even if it is for us over the last 10 years, if you look at it on a, on a sort of a line like that, within that line, there's been some real bumps. You know, missing out on promotion um, on the last day of the season at Middlesbrough was a really hard pill to swallow. Um, you know, being part of a community which had a terrible air disaster and we lost a member of our staff, that knocked the club sideways and we had to recover from that. Losing Graham to Chelsea at the start of the season, another knock. So there's never going to be a time when life is perfect uh, and we just have to work a little bit harder and smarter than everyone else. Which, uh... Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um... <coughs> Paul, listening to you talk, um, hugely impressive, went on a, a similar journey with Swansea a number of years ago, didn't ultimately sustain it beyond a couple of years. Yeah. Um, so I'm really curious to know, you've obviously got things going really well at, at Brighton, lots of things working well. What do you as a club need to do better to ensure that you achieve that goal of sustainable time? -time? Not taking phone calls at 7.30. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, I, think it's, um, I think it's a case of keeping our feet on the ground and, and, and keep, keep doing what we do well, which is fishing in those different ponds and finding those players that others either are not prepared to even look at or probably more not prepared to take a chance on. I mean, Matoma is a great example. Two years ago, was playing university football in Japan. Um, and, you know... I don't know what the number would be for Matoma. If, if we were to sell him this summer, it would be a lot. Um, and, you know, we don't want to sell him. Um, but here's a player who, you know, is potentially world class. And two years ago, he was in university. Um, and his PhD, by the way, was stud he studied dribbling. I mean, can you believe that? I mean, who does that? Uh, but, but the point is, from a science point of view, he, he looked at, you know, what the ideal um, physical shape uh, balance technique was to be a winger so not only does he kind of understand what he's doing when he's on the pitch he understands the theory of it and the science of it off the pitch which I, I find incredible um, but you know that's a, that's an uh, one example McAllister was another example he was playing in third division football in Argentina when we first spotted him and here he is five years after that a World Cup winner um, so we can do it and we we're lucky that we've got an owner who has access to some of the world's best data. Um, every club has access to data, but it's how you interrogate it and interpret it. Um, we're lucky in that regard, and that's a really important part of our model. 
Um, but I think keeping our feet on the ground and staying humble and, and not getting carried away with some of the hype. I mean, uh, to be honest, every time I see Brighton well run, I hate it because my mother says pride comes before a fall. And I, when I saw this bloody stall, I'm thinking, oh, here it comes. Here's the, here's the fall any minute. But, you know, I just think you have to stay humble. You have to stay focused. You have to stay doing the good th things that you're good at and not get too carried away. And not, the hype around the game is brilliant. I mean, these guys do a great job helping us hype it. But at the same time, we have to keep the noise shut out. We have to stay focused. And if we can do that, we'll be OK, I think. Thank you. More questions. Goodness me, I'm not going to do this in the... Uh, James. Uh, James of Onside North. As a club that's managed to take a step, a step up from the championship to Premier League successfully, it'd be interesting to get your views on how the gap can be bridged between two leagues, whether that's further integration between the championship and the Premier League, uh, increasing funding to the championship, or perhaps even changing the public payments. Because obviously, whilst Brighton also Brentford have to step up, Ben teams, there's a lot of clubs that just bounce between the middle Yeah. Yeah, fair point. I, I mean, first of all, I think there needs to be some kind of merit payment in the championship. I, I think it's a bit crazy that everybody gets an equal payment, whether they're first or 24th. I think there should be a base payment that everyone gets, but there should be some incentive for pushing as hard as you can. So if we have to redistribute some money from the Premier League in order for that to happen, I'm okay with that because at some point there's a fair chance we will be back in the championship. We'll have to work our way back up again. You know, as much as we want to try and maintain this model, we're realistic that at some point we could get it wrong and we could slide back. So we have to be conscious of that. I think the other, um, the other thing I would say about parachute payments, I, I don't think parachute payments should be abolished because the problem when you get to the Premier League is if you want to stay there, you have to invest. And you can't invest if you haven't got some kind of security if it goes wrong. Because if you commit to two, three, four year contracts at Premier League salary levels, which you have to do to attract Premier League quality players, and then the worst happens, and you've got Premier League level contracts in the championship because you can't offload every player if you get relegated, then you're, you're heading towards financial ruin potentially. So parachute payments are really important and those clubs that have never experienced them and argue against them, as soon as they get into the Premier League, they go, oh my God, I get it now. I understand why you want parachute payments maintained. So there's no doubt that there's too much disparity and the the, the, the cliff edge, if you like, from the Premier League to the Championship is too steep. I would argue the, the cliff edge from the Championship to the League One is getting steeper as well. So that's another problem. Um, but when I worked in North America, I was lucky enough to work in Major League Soccer. I went round the US. I traveled with the team to every away game. I wanted to experience what the athletes were experiencing. And in Major League Soccer, it's very different. You, you travel economy class to every game. You're only allowed two business class trips a year. Um, you, you're playing, talking about effects on players and, and, F, and um, the wear and tear on players. You could be playing in Dallas, Texas one Saturday, Wednesday in Montreal, back to Vancouver on the Saturday, over to New York the following Wednesday. I mean, we're talking thousands of miles in the air here. And, you know, 
the, the, the one thing I loved about that league was the sort of the parity right the way across uh, the league. You know, everybody was equal. Everyone had an equal chance of winning. We talked about North American sport earlier. Um, and so there are some lessons we can also look to in, in, in North American sport and, and Major League Soccer as well. But I think we, the one thing that people always talked to me about there was the meritocracy, the, the, the jeopardy of promotion and relegation and the risk that comes with it. And some of the American owners that I met over there loved the idea of it, but wouldn't go near it with a barge pole because the risks were too great. So for me, um, for me, the, the protecting that opportunity for promotion and relegation is, is really important. And if we have to find a slightly different economic model to make it happen and keep it and pr protect it, we, we have to do that. Reckon, yeah. Very quick one from me. So, as an agent, you and I are usually on opposite ends of the table, like a Harry Potter Voldemort <laughs> situation. Um, but of course, one of the best for, in your case, the club, and in my case, the player. Yeah. And you touched on something really interesting during the, the conversation about respect. Yeah. Right. That you, a club or an agent or a talent manager has to approach you and the club in the, in the right way. And I'm just curious as to what that looks like to you, because for me, just to give you a very brief example, and I won't use any names, um, I've had the pleasure in the past few months of being able to partner with uh, Rafaela Pimenta, who's yeah. uh, taken on from Mino Raola since he's passed yeah. away, and she represents some of the biggest names in the world. And we had a situation a few months ago where we're discussing a boot deal for a player, and the sportswear company that we were negotiating the deal with were very aware of the number that we wanted for the player, who's category one, tier one player. Um, you know, people can do their deductions and figure out who it is. But the sportswear company knew what figure Rafael and the team wanted, came to the UK to discuss the deal, put a figure on the table that was far below what we expected and that was deemed really disrespectful from our side yep. and the father's side etc so i just wanted to give you an example of what we would consider disrespectful sure just yeah. curious for you yep. when it comes to an approach not is what the what is the right way because everyone's built differently but what do you think is a respectful way when someone wants a matoma a kaisido whoever it is how should they approach you yeah I, I always say through the front door not, not the back door so you know i, I hate finding a situation where a deal has been set up behind my back and I'm presented with all the parts of it and, and I'm like, well, hang on, sorry, why is my player suddenly under this kind of pressure to sign there when actually he's got four more years here? And at that point, if, that's, if that is how it's happened and it's disrespectful to, to us, we just simply switch off the phone um, and, you know, it isn't going to happen. Um, but for me, respect goes both ways. So, you know, everyone talks about agents and best dressed ones as well. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and no doubt expensive with it. Um, so for, for me, you know, agents have a, have a role in the game. And, and you know, there are, of course there are good agents and bad agents, a good chief executives, bad chief executives. You know, we're, we're all human. And, and, you know, I don't label all agents the same at, at all. I, I just hope that respect goes both ways, that it's open, everyone's through the front door. I don't mind a club coming after one of my staff, one of my players, as long as they pick up the phone. You know, I'm not exactly anonymous. Um, my number's everywhere, my email's everywhere, so there's no excuse, as far as I'm concerned, to go through any back door. Um, and, and when that happens, deals get done. Arsenal came through the front door for Trossard, Trossard's agent came through the front door, Trossard came through my front door, we sat down, not long left on the contract, 28 years of age, Arsenal prepared to pay this, we were happy with that price. Everybody won. 
and it was an easy deal to do. Um, some of the other deals in this window were not handled like that, and therefore the answer was no. You know, th th there's two good examples about respect, and, and I think sometimes when a club has, has actually invested in a player, giving a player an opportunity, given him an opportunity to play at the highest level, and has given him the security of a long contract, all I expect back is respect. I don't expect him to necessarily see out the four or five years, but I expect to be treated with respect or my owner to be treated with respect and the same with the agent. And 85, 90% of the time, that's exactly what happens. Every so often when it goes wrong, that's when we become quite stubborn and quite, quite difficult to deal with. And that's not because we're not respectful, it's because we've been disrespected. No problem. We're going to wrap it up, uh, but Paul, thank you for your time and no thank, you for, thank you for coming down. Thank you for listening. I hope you loved it. And if you did, give the pod a follow and a five-star review and tell a friend to tell a friend. See you in a fortnight for the next episode. Let's go. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now nice putting <laughs> awesome. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fans.